Catholic News Agency. This is. Hi, could we please be connected to uh, JD Flynn? Can I ask who's calling, please? Luke Carey. Okay. And uh, who, who are you with, Luke? Oh, I am with Michael Gormley. Oh, um, I'm with Catching Foxes. So on the phone today, we have J.D. Flynn, who has been bought and sold on the open market by the U.S. bishops. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I regret <laughs> I regret using that phrase. That is not, that is not, not, I do not think you meant what you might have sounded no. like. No, the, the Summer, summer of, of Scandal. 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 <laughs> I do not think you know what those words mean. Um, right, no, so right. we got the editor, editor at large, editor in chief, editor in chief, editor in chief, still large and in charge. JD Flynn for Catholic <laughs> News Agency. They let me be editor in chief because I'm the largest guy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me on. As always. Hey, what, whatever happened to you with the the little uh, criticism you got from Church Militant? What was that? They were saying you were in the pocket of the bishops? Yeah, they were saying that, uh, because I can't remember what, oh, do you remember the guy, you remember the priest in Chicago who, like, burned the gay flag, the yes. rainbow flag? Yes. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as you remember, they were covering that pretty extensively, and, and we covered it too, but we tried to cover it in a way that, that you know, just represented what the Archdiocese of Chicago had to say about it, what the priest you know, we called the priest. We tried to get we tried to get his comment, but we couldn't. So we just had some. You know, we covered it from what he had said. I think what he told the Chicago Tribune and things like that. It was a while back now, and um, and and we tried to you know at least cover it fairly. And subsequently, I wrote I think a news analysis in which I I wrote about the fact that you know even if you disagree with like a legitimate precept of your bishop, like in this case the bishop had told him not to have. A flag burning ceremony, and he said, "Like, oh, okay, I won't have a flag burning ceremony." And then his parishioners had a flag burning ceremony that he attended, and he said, "Like, well, the bishop said I shouldn't have that flag burning ceremony, not that there shouldn't be any at all." And so I wrote an analysis that said, you know, that kind of uh, that kind of um, sophistical language or you know, Jesuitical thinking, so to speak, is is problematic if you're sort of using it to ignore the legitimate precepts of your bishop. And so I think they thought that I was saying like. Supich great, this guy bad, and in fact, I was just saying like Supich bishop, this guy priest, and so that's when they started with all the stuff about how I get <laughs> how I get paid by bishop, how I get paid by the bishops, and how we're we're just in the pocket of the bishops, and how I'm not a real journalist and stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know. It, uh, Are you paid by the bishops? I, mean, I am not paid by any bishops. Sure, JD. Sure. But, um, no, not paid by any bishops. We are, you know, an independent news organization, as you guys know. But I think it was a way of just sort of – I think we try to do this fairly, and I think sometimes people want us to be ideological, want us to, like, be advancing the agenda that they're trying to advance. And Mm. and the agenda we're trying to advance is the truth, and we think part – you know, we think that the the gospel is the truth, so we're trying to advance the gospel. I guess that's an agenda. But but people want us to – People think that if we're trying to play it straight, so to speak, trying to cover something according to like the norms and practices of of the profession of journalism, that we're, you know, obviously like covering for the bishops, or you know, people say like, well, we're obviously trying to hurt the church. I mean, you know, people kind of, if you try and do it, if if you try and do it without sort of putting your spin or gloss into 
the things that you're writing about, then people just assume that you're opposed to whatever spinner glass they have. So we kind of get that criticism from time to time. Do you think that's because pretty much every news out there now has some sort of like clear ideology? Like, you know, Fox News is on the right, MSNBC is on the left, The Daily Show is a comedy show, but it's, you know, definitely on like on the left. It's, it just feels like we're kind of in an age now where everyone just presumes that you have one. First, first, I think it's important to say that The Daily Show isn't funny anymore. So that was kind of a <laughs> You hate South Africans. I heard it here. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I think that's true. I think, look, I actually, I just gave it, I just was, I've been thinking about this a lot because I was, I gave a little talk kind of about what Catholic journalism is. And f- from my vantage point, so in, in Christian Fidelis Leitchi, John Paul II says, look, any kind of apostolate that Catholics undertake, that lay Catholics undertake, has to um, have as its goal um, serving ecclesial communion, right? Serving the, the mission of the Church and the communion of the Church. And the communion of the Church is a communion of faith, sacraments, and governance, which means that whatever we're doing, it's not our role, if we're going to call ourselves Catholic journalists, to try to undermine, like, the governance authority of of ecclesiastical figures. Now, that doesn't mean that we wouldn't point out when governance when governance is bad. We wouldn't point out bad governance, or that we wouldn't, you know, point out the abuse of government of, of the authority of governance. But it's not our goal to sort of like delegitimize the structure itself. In fact, in some ways, it's our goal to advance the the, the fact that the structure itself, that the church has a hierarchical constitution, is a part of its divine institution. But I think I think there's a I think. I think it's a lot easier to sort of like there's a rise altogether in sort of anti-institutional populism now that's much bigger obviously than the church what? but, <laughs> but what? That's, where's that's your evidence of that where's my evidence of that but I think that's affecting catholic journalism in really serious ways too where people don't it's not just that they want to say this guy it's not just that they want to cover that this guy or that guy um misuse his authority, which is an important thing to do, but they want to, like, call into question the legitimacy of the authority of people that they disagree with on, on its face, which is, which leaves us sort of destabilized. And I see that all the time. For me, that's, that's where a lot of that comes from. Do you, so, um, I, I was, I'm listening to, uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History Addendum podcast, and they were actually kind of, I'm um, talking about this, and they were kind of getting to this, this point that, a like the majority of the news that is out there, or I, I don't know if I don't know if like really on the news is the right word, but media that is out is not very it's 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 not very deep, and so everyone's constantly talking about it from some type of like a, from a sh- from a sh- shallow standpoint. Do you think that's kind of what's causing like a could 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 that be causing a lot of that to happen? Such such you know polarization because there's there isn't a lot of depth i think i think there's truth to the fact that there's not a lot of depth in a lot of journalism and and to some extent maybe that's just characteristic of the thing itself you know journalism is not um academic scholarship you know they say that journalism is the first draft of history and and i like that phrase because it's a good reminder that first drafts tend to get get revised Mm -hmm. Um, you know i think i think that there are mediums that make it you know, look, on t- it's harder on a on a TV news show to go into as much depth as you can go into in a newspaper format or a magazine format or something like that. It's harder on it's often harder on a 
podcast format, no offense, but it's often harder on a podcast format, like if you're trying to do news on a podcast to go into as much depth as you might do in, in other mediums. So the medium the medium can affect, I think, the ability to, um, to, to give depth and then just the speed of trying to continue to cover things. And, and those things, I think, I think a lot of things work against journalists being able to work with as much depth as they want. And, and then the pressure of like, you know, the pressure of the market on, on journalists, um, having to, even journalists of good faith, having to, um, you know, um, more and more be measured by their, their clicks and their traffic and those kinds of things can undercut their ability to go deep as well. We're extremely fortunate here in that we are not, you know, CNA is owned by EWTN and we are not, our effectiveness is not measured by our, um, our traffic. Like we, we pay attention to our traffic because it teaches us all kinds of interesting lessons about how to present the news. But, um, we, I don't have like a performance quota and I don't get bonuses for more traffic either. And that, that makes us extremely fortunate because those kind of things can play a huge factor too. But I think there's something philosophical going on too, where there's just, you know, in addition to those things, which are probably endemic to, to the industry, I think right now there's just this, um, destabilizing force moving, moving across the West where, you know, if people say, you know, this is sort of late capitalism or the end of liberalism or those kinds of things. I don't know, but you can certainly see this destabilizing force in media where people are almost willfully undermining the the structures and institutions that give shape to people's lives. Um, and, and that includes the family, right? I mean, there's a sort of almost willful sort of undermining the, the family and, and what it is and what its significance is. And then um, mediating institutions like the church or things like that. And then, and I, then, feel, I uh, feel like none of this is tenable. Because we, let me see if I can put this. You ever like sit around with a bunch of guys and you're drinking beer and you're talking about what's wrong with Washington D.C. and how your half drunken assertions are going to change everything? I think like everyone has that experience where you like sit around and be like, "We're going to drain the swamp and we're going to do this." And I feel like everyone is trying their best to do that. If we only get rid of this or only get rid of that or if right. we only change completely this, and you got that great Chesterton line, "We don't know what we're doing because we don't know what we're undoing." Mm-hmm, and like right. I, I just feel like everyone is like a two-bit revolutionary. Like I'm a I'm a Twitter revolutionary, and I'm gonna write a bunch of blogs until they kick off X, Y, and Z from the platform. And like you're seeing a crisis of free speech. Like yeah. you're seeing a crisis of like I was just watching this one thing. This guy said there's literally an organization called Freedom Free the Press, and they are staunch advocates for getting people, you know places closed down and it's like orwellian in terms of our own like self-destruction and i i I don't i don't think this can endure a long run like i think i feel like in 15 years we're all going to be like victorians again and it's like (laughs) well our wanton sexuality didn't work let's all dress up and cover from neck to wrist especially like i see a lot like i see a lot of the kinds of media that we're talking about especially in the context of the church that seems designed to um to inflame the passions, but not, you know, to appeal to reason and like to like whip people up into this frenzy of like, yeah, all the bishops are bad. Yeah. You know, um, everyone's guilty. Yeah. We need to totally remake the structure. And, um, and it's like, it really feels great. It like gets you all testosterone up and it's like you put on, um, you know, some kind of, um, like BC boys song before you lift and then you're all like jumping around and stuff. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, so I feel like there's a lot of that, but, um, but that's like, that's, if you, if you live and die by your traffic, like that's, 
that makes sense because you know you need, you want to get more people to like get all flamed up because then you get um, you know there's a financial incentive to it. And I don't know if that's the incentive or or not, but I do feel like there's this increasing like frenzy of um, almost anti anti rational, anti intellectual, sometimes masked with like the veneer of of an intellectual veneer, but but like ma- you know um, anti reflective approach that gets people all pissed off and not even quite knowing what what they want out of that and that's yeah. dangerous or or at least potentially so uh, at the same time i think like well why do we have the spanish-american war because teddy roosevelt wanted a war and got the newspapers all riled up and pretty soon we had a war so i mean it's not exactly new but it seems like with so many things you know it's easier now and more immediate now which is why we had like the two minutes of hate um over the Oh, shoot. I forgot that you guys don't like to talk about the um, end of the March for Life thing. Oh, but. it's fine. It's, it's whatever. <laughs> well, which is why there was like this very clear, like two minutes of hate where like everyone was like, yeah, these kids get them. And, and then subsequently there were like, there was, there was fractioning of that where it was like, yeah, pick whoever your whoever the enemy is in, in, in your telling of the scenario and let's take him down. But it's like anti reflective uh, about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where are the bright lights, man? Where are the bright lights? Am I, is this where I'm supposed to say catching foxes? I yep. don't know. I don't, I don't yep. know. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean by the bright lights? Everything's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, an oncoming train. That's what that bright light is. <laughs> I was at There's... a, I was at a, Kate and I were at like a party the other night with some friends and, and they were asking me about like various things that are happening in the church. And I talked for a little while and then someone's like, well, what, what are you optimistic about? And I like felt so bad cause I didn't have something. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, we think we've all done that at least once. Like, you know, I'm excited yeah. about, uh, um, Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, we got so, alpha. Oh wait. <laughs> I don't, uh, I will say this, and it kind of goes to my. It kind of goes to the point I was making. One thing that, if we're talking about churchy stuff, one thing that is a bright light right now is um, that a lot of, or at least at least some, at least a few U.S. bishops are starting to like do things that start to take responsibility themselves for how we're going to kind of get out of the crisis of the church and not waiting for the conclusion of the abuse summit or not waiting for the spring, the November meeting of the USCCB, but I'm sorry, the June meeting of the USCCB, but just you know, getting getting the ball rolling on the things that they can do. So that's been mm-hmm. cool. And was it the Bishop of Baltimore? It was Archbishop of Baltimore was like, all right, we we can't do this nationally, so I'm just going to implement it locally. Yeah, which is what, when they couldn't vote on all the stuff in, in November at the bishops meeting, um, from the from the uh, during the press conferences, the bishops who were speaking to us during the press conferences were saying like, well, yeah, this just means that bishops have to go back and do it uh, in their own dioceses and take authority for things in their own dioceses, which is true. But you didn't see a whole heck of a lot of like co- concrete or visible movement on that. But you're starting to. And Archbishop Laurie, who you mentioned, is one of the ones who created like a whistleblower system in his diocese, um, created a pathway for complaints even about him or his auxiliary bishop to go to their diocesan review board in addition to going to the police. So I think people like that are starting to kind of move move things along in the right in the right way. Um, but there you, again, like that, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, are you hopeful about the, uh, Rome meeting? I am, but for different reasons than most people. Um, the Rome meeting is, it's kind of like, it was kind of a funny thing for Pope Francis to call when he called it. And, and, you know, it like doesn't make, didn't make sense because everyone, people were mad 
here in the U.S. It didn't make sense because people were super mad here in the U.S. about like the coercion of seminarians and sexual abuse of seminarians and and how McCarrick rose yeah. and all of those things. And then the Pope's like, well, we're going to have a meeting on on youth, and we were like, well, we have we have good policies about that, we think, and um, yeah. and we have some other complaints. But um, so this meeting in Rome is mostly about getting bishops in the developing world, especially, to develop the kinds of policies about youth protection that we've had in place for like almost 20 years now. Um, am I optimistic about it? I think it's hugely important that bishops in the developing world get those policies. I'm really glad, like they've needed that in a very serious way. And if you think like before the McCarrick scandal was the Chile scandal, you know, of right. uh, oh. Bishop Barros and Cardim and all of that, well, part of, a big part of that was not having clear child protection policies. So it's, they're getting it... <laughs> If there, if if those things are being pushed right now, if people are, if the people who say this are right that this meeting is mostly kind of PR because the Pope needed something to say in the wake of the McCarrick scandal and, and all of that, if what he's chosen to do for PR is to get the developing world on track to have good policies, then I'm really optimistic for the developing world. <laughs> <laughs> what about I mean, you, Luke? Are you optimistic? Um, no. <laughs> uh, after JD Flynn said that, yes. Sorry, I don't know why I just I just I'm talked about you as if you weren't here. Um, I don't know. I um, um, I saw a thing this morning, and I only read a bit of it with Cardinal Cupich. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, and I was just like, ah, I don't want to hear from you. And I think I'm a little bit jaded still with all of this. Um, so I I, I think. Uh, there's a part of me that's just kind of like, so this is what we're doing. We're just going to get everyone in Rome and just talk. Okay, great. But then when I hear you like put that in a way about, oh, we're going to like help things, like we're going to help like set these standards for the rest of the world. And I do think that the Pope has this thing to him where he wants things to happen at like the smallest level possible, you know, like, um, so I'm wondering if maybe there's this idea that he just wants this to be handled by the bishops in their diocese. I don't know. I, I'm uh, I'm jaded. Let me be real honest. Like I, I just I don't know what I want. My biggest problem with it is calling the heads of the various national conferences just feels like a super bureaucratic move. Like if you just look at the human institution, I mean I can understand, right? But it's not like the head of these national conferences embody the ethos of that nation, you know, or those bishops or whatever. Um, I just, I just think it's weird in certain ways that, you know, other than that, I mean, I don't know who else you would call besides the Ghostbusters, but, uh, and don't forget that the Pope has an, has an ecclesiology that emphasizes, um, churches at the national level and, um, and Episcopal conferences. So, so if, if, you know, if one side of the spectrum sees Episcopal conferences as merely bureaucratic apparatuses that are not you know, essential to kind of the hierarchical constitution of the church, then the other side of the spectrum sees Episcopal conferences as a sort of principal organizing body for, um, for, for national churches and sees the, the church maybe even as in large part a confederation of national churches. I, mm-hmm. I don't think the Pope is sort of all the way there by any stretch of the imagination. He's clearly not, but he clearly sees the Episcopal conference as an important organ um, yeah, and, uh, and 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 more so than has been the case with with his predecessors. So for him, it's probably supernatural. 
it's, excuse me, for him it's probably very natural. Um, <laughs> it's probably supernatural. <laughs> when I think of supernatural, I think of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he was the president of the Argentine Bishops Conference, if I remember correctly. So, you know, he you just you work in that you work in the structure of a bishops conference for a while and that, that certainly begins to be part a big part of the way the the lens through which you view the church. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, um if if Benedict were going to have a similar meeting, it's entirely reasonable, like to think that he would have invited a bunch of professors, right, to come and talk about it with bishops, like that it would have been very <laughs> academic, in large part because that's the lens through which he he himself, you know, and saw so much of the church. So I can see how that becomes kind of the the Francis mode. That makes sense, actually. Now, now, now that I think about it, I I, I just um. Uh, there's this element here that I um, and I don't know, I, I'm I'm trying to I still don't know how best to ask this or just to propose this idea slash question, but I, I there's just this part of me that just like uh, I just want to ask like the, the bishops and just I guess like the Pope I don't know just everyone in the church is like like what are like what are we doing here like what is yeah. the point of all of this because I just see um declining on the numbers across across the world i just uh in terms of like mass attendance all the world being sorry this is probably half of the problem the west like i just put this one image on twitter the other day there was this old church out in france that's just completely been taken over by nature because it's just been abandoned and i'm and i just i was just really struck with like man is this the future you know, and I just always go back to when all this stuff kind of started to go down and uh, Cardinal Supich out in Chicago was just like the Pope has bigger things to deal with. You know, he's trying to he's trying to tackle climate change and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what is the point of the Like, like, what is like, what, like, what are we doing here? Because it just I, I just I, there are times that I feel like within the American church that the bishops don't really acknowledge how bad the problem is. I, I, and I and I guess I, I define the problem as the crisis of belief. And I, I don't know, I, like, am I off with that? Is is that just me being jaded? I have been extremely hopeful that this crisis will lead the leadership of the church in the United States to say, "Wow, we need to take a very serious diagnosis of the of our ecclesial reality and recognize, like, we are we have we're in need of like ex- profound, serious, and radical renewal that doesn't look like." Um, you know, a sort of program or pastoral letter, but that is much, much bigger than that. Just a re, a, a new way of of thinking about the evangelization of this largely secularized people, even though even many of those who who go to mass. I've I've really hoped like, could this be the catalyst for the big thing that maybe the big thing that is the new evangelization, even that we maybe even haven't stuck our our toe into. Because mm-hmm. I think clearly, like. You know, I mean, a lot of people practice faith. A lot of people love the church. Um, you guys have, like, uh, consider how many listeners you have, and that's even that is a lot of people who practice the faith, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, I mean... You hear that, audience? You of, kind of practice the faith. <laughs> <laughs> in the context of how many pe- how many baptized Catholics are there in the United States, or just how many people are there in the United States, I have hoped that the bishops would say, okay, this is the time when we say, in fact... We are a, 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 a we we need to be a missionary church in a missionary territory, and I don't know I I don't know if I've really seen that yet in a serious way. Although that's been my hope. Maybe it's maybe it's 
Pollyannish. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, I think my concern is that what we're going to end up with is just more policies, and yeah. and it's not that policies in and of themselves are bad. They're good if they serve a greater purpose. Um, but I think a lot of these policies just um, and and this isn't bad, but they they try to create the framework by which things can happen and happen and where good things can happen. And that's, and that's not bad, but I guess my, like there's this underlying issue of what are the things that we want to happen? Right. And I think that hasn't really been identified. And um, I, I'm just very concerned. Could I say something that seemed, that's kind of weird. Sure. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about that French church, that's a ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about, um, remember, uh, maybe at, remember at the beginning of Prince Caspian, when, um, the children suddenly find themselves, um, in the ruins of Care Paraval and they don't really realize what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then mm-hmm. they discover their, and then they discover, like they come upon the, their gifts. Um, you know, they like, they rediscover these ancient gifts that belong to them and thereby like spark a renewal hmm. of, yeah. of Narnia and they yeah. bring Caspian back and they kill all the Telmarines, which I think is like vaguely anti-Middle Eastern. I don't know, but they, no, I think they, the Telmarines they, are Spanish, Spanish. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they're Spanish right. pirates. Oh, okay. Cool. Good. Yeah. So they're I've pirates and they're up to no good. That's why I think it was yeah. we're good. <laughs> Woo. So, so Dodge anyway, that bullet. Thanks, C.S. Lewis. And they, and they, they reestablished Narnia, right? And then Caspian, I think, in the Silver Chair or something like that, rebuilds the. They they say that he rebuilt Caracovo. I guess my, I guess I, I guess the only reason I was thinking about all that is like, hmm, maybe there's a way of rediscovering the gifts of of the gifts that are, are that belong to us, the genuine gifts that belong mm-hmm. to us as believers. In in and this becomes a time of renewal. I, I feel like that has to be the thing because. What's the alternative? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, because if if not, it's just it all. Like, I don't know what else to do. I, I um, it um, that I, th- I think that's kind of like a um, a, like another example of that is um, b- is Balthasar's idea that we have to relearn what it means to be Christian. Yeah, and it's kind of, and like you know he says like that one way that. You do that. Well, sorry, the like is through the life of the church, and uh, by paying more attention to the saints than you do like the fad priest of your of your era or popes. So, sorry, well, Father Mike. You're reading about the bad priest of your era at CatholicNewsAgency.com. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I, I meant not, not bad, fad, F A D. Fad. Fad, yeah. I may be mispronouncing oh. that. Continue reading about the fad priests of your era, Catholic music. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, I just kind of want to talk about McCarrick for a bit. Uh, with, like, what do you think his, so, like, he um, he has been laicized. Um, could you just, like, real for, like, just, just in case anyone out there doesn't know, like, what does that mean? Okay, two things happen when you get ordained. The first is you become a priest. Let's just make it. Well, two things happen when you get ordained. The first is you become a deacon, because that's usually the first step of getting ordained. But you are, you know, you receive the sacrament of orders and are ontologically configured to Christ, and, and that's a sacramental reality. 
But at the same time that you get ordained, a juridical reality happens to you too, a legal reality where you go from being in the class in the church called laity to being in the class of the church called clergy. You become a cleric. And, um, and you know, clerics are those ordained men who, um, you know, who, who, are, who exercise offices of sacred ministry or leadership in the church. Um, you can never lose being ordained because it's a sacramental reality that's ontological and there's no getting rid of it. It's like you can't, you can't scrub it off. You can't stop being baptized. You can't stop being ordained. Um, you can, though, lose the legal reality of being a cleric, which is kind of this correspondent idea that you are essentially ordained and able or and permitted to exercise your sacred ministry. And when you're a cleric, you have certain rights. You have the right to, you have, you have the right to sacred ministry in a certain sense, and you have um, you have the right to remuneration from the church. In other words, like to be um, uh, or sustenance, sustenance from the church to be like. Um, you know, fed and clothed and those kinds of things. So you have certain rights from the church and certain obligations. If you're a cleric, you can't get married, for example, and et cetera. So the church can't, didn't take away from him being ordained, but it took him out of the category of the clergy, which means that he is now in the category of the laity and therefore related to the church and the, the relationship of the laity, which means that he can't occupy offices that include the care of souls, uh, you know, the, in, in the formal sense. Um, he, he doesn't have a right to... Um, financial support from the church. He, he he doesn't have a right to the other things that clerics have a right to, and he can't exercise his priestly ministry except in a minute of absolute danger, which would be that he comes upon someone who's in immediate danger of death and there's nobody else around who could absolve them or anoint them. So basically he's out. He's still a priest, but he's out. Do you think um, some people say that like that's not a punishment? That's just like how could like I'm making, how could, I'm making him be a um, a lay person a punishment you know how how could the how could the quote unquote lady be a a punishment do you agree with that do you think there's some um, merit to that or is it i understand what people are saying but i think oftentimes that reflects a discomfort with the idea that there are classes in the church and there are classes in the church legally speaking that doesn't mean that they're not equal in dignity or equal in um you know uh, a call to holiness um but um but mem- people who are clerics have certain rights and you know can can have this relationship to the church where they can depend on the church for financial support and health care and a place to live and they um and to lose those things yeah of course that feels like a punishment um in the same way that like if you got fired from your job and you couldn't expect the large ecclesial institution that you work for to keep paying for you yeah that would be a punishment mm-hmm. um um is it a sufficient punishment? So is it like, oh, you're punished, you're lay now, and look at all those lay trash? No, I don't think that's the idea. It's more like you're lay now, so get your own checkbook because sister's not doing your laundry anymore, and we're not taking to the doctor anymore. So it's a punishment in that sense. Like you don't have that right of expectation for the church to take care of you that a cleric has. Um, but I don't think it's meant to say like, oh, you're you're trash now. Do I think it's a sufficient punishment? Um, I don't know. I, the church doesn't have the kind of like coercive, authoritative like ecclesiastical prisons or something that she used to have. She can't like stick people down in a galley or something like that anymore. So um, it's hard for me to envision the church having that kind of course of authority in our contemporary society either. So um, I think it's the punishment that you know the church perceives that it's the civil authorities, the civil government's responsibility to punish crimes with you know coercive penalties with um, 
yeah. you know, going to jail or something like that. She doesn't perceive that in, in the contemporary milieu that that's her 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 prerogative. Or I don't know if I agree with you, man. Have you ever worked at a parish? It feels like a prison. <laughs> <laughs> so his, his punishment his punishment is that he has to like be the secretary to the DRE in the parish. There's a lot the... of dark lighting there. <laughs> I'm the front desk receptionist. <laughs> oh, he I can just see like the sitcom. Ted the front desk receptionist. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I used to run that that event. Ugh. Catholic match, bringing boys together with their best friend's mom. Catholic match. <laughs> it's 2002. <laughs> so here's like, here, here is the deal. Catholic match is a great place to try to go and meet people who share the same values that, that, uh, that like um, you have. Because in the words of our friends from Run DMC, it's a jungle in there. I think it's from DMC. Uh, jungle it, in there kind of, or out there? Out there, in there, whatever. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> prepositions. Um, those are, are not prepositions, are they? No. Um, oh, I'm tired. Here's the deal. If you're if you're if you're a if you're a girl, you're probably already on there. But if you're not, now's the time to do it. If you're a dude, there's probably a one in three chance that that you are. Step one: go to CatholicMatch.com, create create an account. Step two. Step two. Um, don't send any creepy, weird, long messages. In fact, don't send any like messages at all. Do a little like, do a little wink, do a little, little like whatever. If she winks back, step number three, send like a one to two line thing and just try to start a conversation. That's all you got to do. Dear beautiful blonde haired girl, I am in love with you. As David says in the, or as Solomon says in the Song of Songs, your eyes are doves behind your veil. Don't do that shit, okay? No, we, no, You no. save that for your wedding or something, or when you're at the Renaissance restaurant, medieval times. Listen, mm -hmm. that's what you do. We, you just start off simple. You start a conversation going, and then you can be a little bit more wordy-wordy. Uh, but you don't do that in the beginning, Luke. That is a great pro tip. I got another pro tip for you. Ready for this, Luke? Let's do it, man. <laughs> When you go to start your profile, which couldn't be easier, put a Catching Foxes picture, you know, one of our logos in your pictures, and add Catching Foxes made me do it in your profile. That way, all of the foxes, wink, can find each other. Really, the Syrophoenician women who are getting crumbs to the master's table. I don't think I want that in the ad. Uh, <laughs> you can, guys, <laughs> you can find each other out there. If you get married, we will come out. And MC everything from the rehearsal dinner to the to the wedding liturgy. We will MC the liturgy. I'll be like, I got this, Father. <laughs> we'll Coming up next, guy. we got the Generation <laughs> X priest who's wearing the thick black rim glasses and thinks he's cool because he slicks his hair back. But everyone knows to cover his bald spot. Go on, preacher man. And these two guys in their mid to late um, 30s, they will be the servers at their mass because they're insane the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And at, after the rehearsal or the reception dinner where we stay at grandma's table emceeing all the food she eats, after that, we will even, and this is a promise, emcee your honeymoon. There you go. Play by play. <laughs> oh, it's not looking good for the mister. <laughs> turns out honeymoons rarely go well <laughs> so what we do is we head on over to catholicmatch.com start your profile today put catching foxes made me do it in your profile find each other find love catholicmatch.com thank you to the fine folks at catholic match for supporting our show Achah. 
Oh man, Uncle Ted. So he's no longer. He's no longer. I mean, obviously, once a priest, always a priest. But yeah, but he's no longer. I mean, practically speaking, he no longer has the rights, privileges, and authority yeah. of a priest. And yet he gets to live at a monastery, right? Well, he's still living there right now, but it's like, it's like I don't know. I was never expelled from college, but I presume if you get expelled from college, you get to stay in the dorm for a couple of days to figure out what you're going to do next. Um, but also, he's their tenant. Like, he's been paying them to live there. So yeah, they so can he's take rich. Whatever. Isn't he rich? Yeah, he's, he's, he seems to have access to a lot of money. Um, we've been kind of researching that, and it's hard to put a figure on it, but he seems to have access to a lot of money. So he's their tenant. So to some degree, it's up to them whether they want him to continue being their tenant or not. Do you think we My need to rename the... Do you think we need to rename the diocese uh, um, Metuchen? <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you think we should definitely rename Whoa. that diocese? Like, just name it of one of the suburbs. Whoa. I think Metuchen actually, I'm from New Jersey. I think Metuchen is, I don't think it's like a big town either. No, could, but big problems, man. Big problems. <laughs> they, got a, they got a PR problem. So, I, I, I read. <laughs> I read this one story about him where this guy talked. This may have been a tweet, so I apologize for saying that they are the same thing. I read this incredibly precise (laughs) or thread. I don't remember. Um, At the beginning of the thing, you're like, why do you think the news media doesn't cover things in depth? (laughs) Well, I read 240 characters about something. Well, I stopped reading after 140. It could have been a thread um, (laughs) where this guy talked about how he just, you know, Obviously, the stuff that McCarrick did is is like awful and blah blah blah. But he just said, "Yeah, I just want to share a story that I like." I remember him when he when he said mass every morning out in D.C. or something, and just how struck he was by like he was. It was just kind of like I saw like a side of him that I thought was good, and like how like just until this person was just trying to reconcile the fact that this guy clearly did all these horrible things, and. And I, and it just kind of um, got me to think that how how could a person you know who's going to mass every day, saying mass every day, who seems to to in the eyes of some is very kind and devout, and he's a leader in the church, one of the prominent leaders in the American church for decades. How did how does this happen? Like like how does this happen? And is it? Oh, I apologize if you hear my dogs barking in the background. They just heard a person at the door, and they're nuts. Um, like I, I, I and I guess that kind of is is the question that I am um, proposing. It's like, how did like how did we get here? Yeah, that seems that's a good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm. I think you know one thing is like one thing with with one thing with that with McCarrick and with the question of like he celebrated mass every day and all of that is, I think we have such a temptation to say, and with McCarrick, it's huge. I mean, it makes sense to say like this person is, there's not a scrap of good in this person. Um, but like, um, you know, our, our faith doesn't say this is a good person. That's a bad person. Our faith says like, these are people, um, given over in many ways to evil and, and in deeper and deeper ways. But, always possessing the image of God. Like, so weeds are always mixed in with the wheat. Even if the field is 90% weed, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't mean that there can't be some <laughs> weed in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lost actually, me. That's... You lost me in your analogy, bro. You totally. <laughs> I was just thinking that's probably like Snoop Dogg's lawn. Um... <laughs> it's 90% weed, 10% wheat. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. 
he's not anti-grain. Right. Do you think um, uh, Andrew Cuomo should have been excommunicated, or do you think Cardinal Dolan should be excommunicated for not excommunicating? <laughs> big one. Yeah, for I not excommunicating Andrew Cuomo. Small. Just. <laughs> Oh man, uh, you! I don't know. I don't know if we're playing lightning round, but I don't think that uh, Andrew Cuomo committed a crime in the current existent code of canon law that has the penalty of excommunication. So I don't know exactly what Dolan. You know, Dolan can't just make up the, the rules on, on the spot as he goes. There's there are means like complicated means by which he could have like over time applied a gradation of penalties that would have led to his excommunication. But that's different from just like. One, you know, that's that's very different from just being able to say, like, bam, you're excommunicated because of what you did. I don't think that he had, uh, I don't think that he did a, a canonical crime that, that leads to excommunication. But, I, you know, I think the big question people have been asking is why didn't Dolan um, impose upon him the um, canon 915, which is that a person who obstinately perseveres in manifest grave sin can't uh, be admitted to Holy Communion. That's a totally reasonable question. Isn't if 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 like unfettered and practically jubilee, jubilant support for abortion isn't right. absent perseverance and manifest grave sin? What is? Yeah, no, that's a, and I, and I guess that's the thing where I I like like t- in um in my mind the it like feels like all this stuff is somehow connected, and it could just be that it's connected due to the our own own depravity just as I'm a fallen creatures but it's just why hasn't why why hasn't there been a stronger stance to you know taken against this guy why is a guy like Dolan allowed to ascend to things to like a you know a height that big why um there's a lot it just there are times when I just feel so overwhelmed by like um the sin of the church's leaders and like sin yeah, could be the yeah. wrong word but um, or just like the like sin and you know really poor leadership, mm-hmm. um, and it it just feels uh, exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said at the beginning of some. I said at the very beginning of the whole like McCarrick thing to somebody. Somebody was asking me like, "What do you think are the root causes of this?" And I said that I think as often as not, this is a crisis of competence instead of like a crisis of systematic governance cover cover up and malfeasance that it's far more like having like and you guys have worked in the ecclesiastical context so we can all agree that it's far more common to come across extremely problematic things that happen as a consequence of incompetence than it is to come across them that come across as like that that come from like willfully perpetrated and systematic evil Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah is it um, stupidity or is it the plan (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, right. Or it's is stupidity or is ten times, or, yeah, or nine times. Yeah, or is Satan's plan depend upon exploiting our stupidity. You know, sometimes I wonder. Um, but yeah, I mean, so a, a lot of these things come down to just: is a person does a person understand what their job really is, and then have the courage of their convictions to do it? And 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 you know, like I, as angry as that makes me when I see bishops who seem not to have the courage of their convictions to act in accord with their responsibilities. I also remember that in my, in the place where I'm most, where my, like, the place where my, like, life and soul are most meted out, which is to say in the vocation of my family, I most often don't have the courage of my convictions or the confidence to lead with the way that I know God wants me to and things like that. So 
I have to I have to be willing to sort of accuse myself as as much as as others. But at the same time, I think we can say, yeah, look, there are, there are many ways in which uh, incompetent Episcopal leadership has borne prob- gravely problematic fruit in the life of the church. You're such a diplomat with the way born problematic fruit in the life of the church. <laughs> they are burning everything down. I said gravely. I said gravely. <laughs> and they are doing it with a smile on their face. A I dirty little sneer. This is the part I have encountered way too many clergy. Like I've encountered like like someone like Father John out in Denver and Father Michael out there. Like they are sincerely grieved people like you they mean, joined you mean father prof- john father john Neppel? yeah he's they, my student by the way so if you're gonna say he's a great priest it's kind of like a compliment to me yeah oh absolutely i knew that and if i'm gonna <laughs> affirm his priesthood it's kind of like i'm affirming the fact that he lied about me on on his podcast but the <laughs> the idea is now he repented uh the idea yep. is like these guys as men who decided to become priests because they love the church are forced to serve under a bureaucracy. Like, I'm not saying, it's actually, like Archbishop, uh, was it Aquila? I'm yeah. Yeah, I don't know him a lot, but I, I've, I've actually had a couple interactions with him, uh, more than probably an average layperson from that diocese because of just the conference stuff and whatnot. And I found him to be awesome. At the yeah, same he's time... Really he's really good, yeah. Yeah, at the same time, like, there is... Uh, other bad bishops, like, you don't know what to do. Like, you're surrounded by incompetence or, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's so frustrating. You remember, uh, remember in Spaceballs where he's like, uh, are you an asshole? Are you an asshole? I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yes. Are you saying yeah, that's what Cardinal DiNardo is saying when he's at one of these USCCB no. meetings? <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic, man, by putting my what I might have said in the in the words of Rick Moranis instead of saying it myself. Um, oh, that. Yeah, so I think the question is: I think the question for us is: How do we? Is that atypical in the life of the church historically? And Newman mm-hmm. says no. Newman says like, look, we have to we have to remember that we are always limping along in the most pathetic way that can be imagined. And it's only by the, it's only the Holy Spirit that moves along and saints are never like, um, saints are always anomalous and always, um, uh, surprising in the context of the, you know, the, the sheer incompetence limping along. Um, boy, um, you know, so I think that's helpful to remember. And then like, how do we be Catholics? How does, how do those priests be priests? How do we, faithfully live out our apostolic identity as lay people in the context of a church in which not everyone is, and in the context of which their judgment will come at the same time that our judgment will come, and the Lord will decide whether each one of us was hot or cold or, or, or lukewarm. And, hot potato, hot potato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the music stopped. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that's fine. I guess I was just like, do you guys, is it, does it help? Does, do you find more serenity in recognizing like that's just the state of the world? Of the world? I find more serenity in acknowledging that there is that, <laughs> how do I put this? I see it everywhere outside the church. And so it makes me think, well, the church is human, institu- is human in, in many regards. And 
grace isn't magic. Just because I was baptized doesn't mean I'm a flawless individual, although sometimes I think our marketing might come across that way. And I think that uh, the rise of the laity in reaction, I think there's obviously the populist know-nothing kind of element, but there's also a lot of laity who are, like, leading the charge in a lot of these things. I don't know if you know this, but the Southern Baptist Convention is fallen apart with sexual abuse have you heard of this yeah yeah I mean, and, and they don't hundreds. and they have sort of said like they have they've said themselves or a bunch of southern baptist commentators have said themselves like and not having a hierarchy it's even worse because you can just disappear for a little while pop up somewhere else um you know yeah. there's not they don't have the the means to have the kind of even the kind of safeguarding that we have yeah in 2007 the victims of South, southern baptist pastors begged the Southern Baptist Convention to start a registry. And I was like, a registry of what? Like the, of pastors who sexually abused just so they wouldn't get rehired, you know? And this, this horrible network of um, loose affiliated, loosely affiliated churches. I mean, like, it's crazy. And it's like the ultimate punishment that the Southern Baptist Convention can do to a church that doesn't disclose abuse or whatever is, to unfell or disfellowship them, but they're still Baptist churches. They're just independent Baptists, and they can function on the same land, more or less, I think, on the same land and all this stuff. So right now it's like 220 pastors in the last 30 years, I think, is are, are, have racked up seven, 800 victims. I don't know. It's crazy. This is not just a Catholic thing in any way, shape, or form. But they have been begging since 2002 for, like, individual victims are like, do something like what the Catholic Church is doing. And they, are, and they don't. And now, and now they're reaping the whirlwind. Yeah. I, I am. Um, so sad. I, I go back and forth between, like, hope and utter despair. Oh, sorry. I mean, d- yeah. despair being the wrong word. But just, like, I mean, r- really, honestly, it's kind of being like, I I almost closed my computer down as I started the talk. Whoops, that would have ended everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just almost closed my because I was like, I have, I have a profound point. Close screen. <laughs> There's um, that quiet desperation working its way through. <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of being like, I want out. I, I can't be involved in this anymore. Uh, this is just this is too this is just too broken. And there is this, and I think I need to be constantly reminded of that, like. It's never been the way that you thought it was. There was yeah. I'm never this time when the church was absolute, absolute, absolutely perfect. I mean, even when Christ was um, with the apostles, he's constantly, I mean, he said stuff to, you know, cut half his people out, you know, or things like that when you, you know, John 6, whatever. And, uh, it's, um, I find it very difficult to find, to find the balance between uh, trust and justice of I'm going to trust the church because of who she is, but then demanding, like, where do I, like, where does that, where does that trust kind of begin and where does justice end? And not that that has to happen, but in the sense of like, you know, if I'm really want to push for these things to happen and if it doesn't happen, when do I just stop and go, I'm just going to trust that the church is the church and the Lord's going to work through her regardless. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I think that's the thing is like, um, yeah. uh, 
what 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 is Providence doing? What is my place in Providence? How do I continue to trust in the, this? Like, how do I continue to trust in that the, these this reality, which is not a sociological reality, but predominantly a, a divine reality, while at the same time, like, wanting to see it cleaned and purified and holy? And and then, how do I set my expectations so that I don't think that its human element has ever has ever been or will ever be as pristine as a the, the, the heavenly reality that it foreshadows. That's a much better way to put it. No, I don't know. <laughs> hey, well, you know, hey, can I interject one little thing here? Yeah. Going back to the Southern Baptist thing. Um, <clears throat> you notice a, that you pick up a little bit of a twang every time you say Southern Baptist thing. <laughs> Southern Baptist. Hey, I'm Baptist. <laughs> the way you say it in Houston is B-A-B, Baptist. Southern um, Baptist. Yeah, something Baptist. Uh, a Houston preacher who sexually assaulted a teenager is now the principal officer of a Houston nonprofit that works with student organizations. Federal records show its name. You you know this guy is a baby boomer from this name, Luke. What did I talk about? You said that was strangely specific. Touching the future today, Incorporated. No. Oh yeah. no. Like, oh my good lord! Touching the future today, Inc. Oh man! <laughs> I thought we were gonna talk, come on here and just talk about how like McCarrick has just been laid aside and be all hopeful, and we're ending by talking about a nonprofit called Touching the Future Today. <laughs> Thanks, baby boomers. Even if it's a, <laughs> even if it's a millennial, you know it's funny though. They're talking about like these uh, youth ministers, youth pastors who have molested and abused uh, their teenagers, and. One of the things that we noticed, like coming out of Franciscan, my era was, I think, the final era uh, when, when I was in youth ministry of the lay non-professional youth minister. Typically, if people have youth groups, the majority of them are people coming out of college like Franciscan who are educated to be youth ministers, right? And so they carry with them all this like you know, safe environment training and, you know, all these things about like psychology of human development and all of this stuff. And it's very professional. And then you look at this and you're like, how could this happen? It's like, well, you got like some kid who's 20 years old or 21 years old, who's a porn addict, who has zero theology training, but he's great with youth and he just gets put in this position. And in the Catholic church, I don't think, I mean, like elements of that did happen, but like it is just widespread. I feel like maybe our seminary system Profession tries to uh, professionalize the clergy, and I think maybe it kind of expects that of her volunteer members or paid staff members. Professional, like a, you know what I mean, like that professional clergy. Yeah, the lay size, the lay, the the clericized lay, lady or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, professional. I prefer classes. the term professional because I don't think of myself yeah. as a cleric. The professional class of, of lay people in the church. Yeah. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was stupid. That was stupid. Gomer, <laughs> go away. I don't know anything about youth ministers in Southern Baptistism or? Um... Yeah, you do. You know. No, well, how would I know? How would I know that? I don't know. Your time in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> you went to Steubenville Osmosis. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of youth ministers, but I don't know any that have defected to Southern Baptist. Not yet, anyway. One, we're yeah. one more church scandal away from that happening. No, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. Because it's sad that the people who are leaving the church, like, and in a public way, that just breaks my heart. Mm. How, uh, you know what breaks my heart? When the people respond to it by saying, well, if they're leaving the church now, they never they really were a part of it. Of faith. 
Yeah. Yeah. I hate that too. Yeah. yeah. I, I re- that makes me sad too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can all yeah. just hold each other. Can we just do that. Drink some Jack Daniels and hold each other. Let's uh, not do Jack. It's gross. I I uh, I didn't think that uh, I thought that professionalized lay ministers in the church knew that drinking Jack Daniels and holding was probably not not a good solution to problems. That's the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> <laughs> the summer of scandal. Scandal. Wow, man, you're gonna get fired from your job. I'm going to send this to the president of EWTN. I don't and think I've anything like, bad, and EWTN's really supportive of me. Dang it! <laughs> Where's my miniseries? Where's my miniseries? Where is? That would be good. I'd watch it. <laughs> Gomer ruins right. the church. <laughs> All right, well, Luke, you want to sign us out? Uh, well, thanks for coming on, man. This is good. Thanks for having me. I kind of like invited myself on, and you guys were gracious about it. You didn't have to be. Oh, nope. no, no, no. Dude, sure you're did. always welcome. Oh, cool. So, always. See like you next week. week. <laughs> <laughs> I only feel sad that I didn't get to record an infomercial for Catholic Match or Amazing Parish or whatever. I mean, we can if you want to. No, I can't. I have contractual obligation not to record infomercials. Dang oh. it. Sure, JD, sure. Hey, what do you think of this title? Becoming a church that cares well for abuse. That is what? the name of the Southern Baptist Convention of their version of Virtus. Becoming a church that cares well for abuse. For abuse? Even, yeah, for abuse. That's I'm a, not kidding. That doesn't even make sense. No. Yeah. How about just Virtus? <laughs> I'm old school. <laughs> yeah. Let's get yeah. some virtue up in his ear. All right. How about, y'all, yeah. I love y'all. I gotta get back to work quickly. Alpha Likewise. today. Cool. Thank you, JD. Hey, don't forget, listeners, to listen to subscribe to CNA Newsroom wherever you get your podcast. That's our podcast. Oh, yeah. It's not like mean, this. Yeah. Sorry. It's so good. Sorry. Should have brought that up. <laughs> that sounded sincere, even. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it did. It did. No, because it's actually, it's an, it's an original idea. So thank you. CNA Newsroom. Subscribe. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. Sure, JD. Sure.